You know, the, isn't that this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the daughter of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent his messengers. Nonetheless, it's like he couldn't be reasoned with. You know, when you get to the point where do you realize that that's that was God's safety net for David, his men that were surrounding him. Hey, David, that's Bathsheba. You know who she is? No, I know who she is. Go get her. Now he's got a group of men who know exactly what he was up to. All exclaiming, Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. David could have ended the temptation by leaving the scene at that time, even after entertaining the temptation for a while. Instead, David put himself into a more tempting situation. He committed adultery in his heart up on the roof. Now he knows that he has an opportunity to commit adultery in practice. David should have received the news of the woman's identity as a warning. He learned that this woman was related to men close to David. In taking Bathsheba, David sinned against Uriah, Elam, and Ahithophel. Each man was close and important to David. God always gives us a way out of temptation, but it's our choice to take that way out or continue on to sin. Now here's Pastor Rob. Because what is that passage that we read in 1 Peter? He's, the devil is like a roaring lion. He's always seeking. Guys, when you're at your job, what about that cute secretary? How often are you there alone when all the other workers are not around? What are you doing? Are you sitting and talking to her? Are you letting her cry on your shoulder? You better be very careful. When you go on business trips and you've got a female colleague who's in a different room and you're a married man, what are you thinking about? What happens, especially if she finds you attractive? What are you doing? What are you thinking? What opportunities are being made available? And David was... He was like a sitting duck here. He'd gotten up and he's roaming around the top of his palace. Do you remember that, the movie, The Lord of the Rings? There was a time, <laughs> and I was just reminded of this, when Frodo and Samwise Gamgee, where they were walking and they were getting lost, and they were in the, in the mountains, and they were getting lost. And there came a point where Frodo looked at Samwise, and he says, we're being watched. We're being watched. And that's really what we are. We're being watched. And again, not to spook you. I've spent enough time on this. But it is true. We are being watched. But thank God, we, are, we have one who is watching over us. And don't find this unusual, because remember in Job chapter 1, and this is a doctrine that people don't like to talk about, but it is true. And it's that God will allow sometimes for us to be tempted and to be chastened. It says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come from? And Satan, notice, Satan's actually able to present himself in heaven. 
Did you know that's still true today? He's able to blaspheme you. He's able to bring accusations against you. And he doesn't do it from hell. Oh no, he's very active in the world and he can ascend to heaven. There's coming a time where he won't be able to ascend to heaven anymore. But he accuses you before the Lord. So he, at this time, he goes and, he, and the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. God knew who, who Job was. He knew he was a really wonderful man. But the, the wonderful man had to go through a testing to really reveal how great that was. Job needed to know that for himself. Again, if, if, if things are going well for me all the time, I usually don't grow. I'm, I, I get lazy. And I'm not saying that Job was lazy. And maybe you're not lazy, but the average person is. We get used to things, we get lazy, we get lax. But the Lord knew Job, and also God knew what Job was going to be like on the other side of this great trial that he would go through. And what, what did Satan answer him? Satan answered and says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not set a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the guy. You've blessed the work of his hands, his possessions, have increased in the land. But now stretch your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Ah, the Lord said to Satan, Hey, behold, all that is in that he has is in your power only. Notice, here is the leash that's put on Satan. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. He did that very thing, didn't he? He took his whole family away by disasters after disasters. And he even, we'll find out in chapter 2, that he finally lays his, or chapter 4, or chapter 2, even Job is struck with the boils and the things that he went through. And you may think to yourself, how could a loving God do that? Well, Job was a great man. Job was a great man. But Job needed to go through what he, needed, what he went through because God was refining him. I'm usually not refined when, I'm, when everything is going great. I'm usually refined when things are going really hard and I feel like I'm just at the end of my rope. Have you found yourself at the end of the rope? Don't be discouraged because what God is doing is refining your faith. He knows our faith. He knows exactly where I am and where I am not. I don't know that until I go through certain things and God says, ah, you thought you were that, Rob. And guess what? You, really, you learned something, didn't you? And I'm like, yes, Lord. I learned that I really wasn't all I thought I was. I realized that I wasn't as strong in that area as I thought I was. And God says, you know what? That's okay. Because next time, I know that you'll know. And you'll rely more upon me. And there not that where the victory is? See, we don't know ourselves. And God was going to do something in Job's life that at the end of all of this, he would just totally magnify the man. He would be vindicated in front of his friends who saw him as just a self-righteous man. He'd be vindicated before the devil. <laughs> and he hates that. You know, sometimes God gives you a discerning, gives you discernment and eyes to see things. Even maybe a word of knowledge concerning how Satan is setting up someone in your life, perhaps even setting you up, 
giving you understanding, giving you a word of knowledge, giving you discernment to see things as he sees them, and pray for that in the days we live in, that God will give you great discernment, first for yourself and for others, that you could discern what the devil is trying to do and how he's trying to set you up. Because believe me, he is trying at this moment. He is trying to set you up. But don't worry about him, even though I've talked a lot about him tonight. Um, But this is a passage we have to look at, and we have to be sober and be vigilant, like Peter tells us, right? There's a, in Proverbs, Solomon wrote, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it comes forth the issues of life. The word keep is so wonderful. What it means is to literally guard it, to maintain it, to, um, to preserve it, to sustain it, to watch over it. And that requires diligence. It's not just, you know, keep your heart. Well, what does that mean? Well, you keep it with diligence. You think about what you're doing. Be always thoughtful and be always prayerful, especially when things are going really great and things are just kind of moving along and things are just going like cake. Those are the times that usually the devil likes to come in with a baseball bat and just wipe my shins away and knock me on the floor when I'm just soaring like, an, soaring like an eagle. And I've noticed that even in our times together at church, did you ever notice that after we went out and witnessed in the, into, the, into the communities, did any of you recognize that after that was over with, how you felt this great sense of, you know, hey, I, did, you know, I was glad to do this. It was a good thing for me to do. And did any of you experience some hardship or some kind of devastation, <laughs> some kind of trial that happened in your life? Something difficult. These things do happen. But notice in verse 2 that it happened that evening that he was walking around. Notice from the roof he saw a woman. And I had you underline that for a reason. Because this wasn't just something where David was looking around and just saw Bathsheba. Because guess what? All of um, David's generals, those 30 mighty men of David's, do you think that they lived near near the palace? You better believe they did. They were surrounding David and all their homes. And Uriah was one of his 30 men, 30 mighty men. And, who is, and, and, and Uriah is out in battle. He's across the Jordan River uh, in a siege against Rabbah, modern-day Ammon. <laughs> and so David's there, and his wife's up there bathing. She's up there bathing, and David saw her. It's not just he glanced over, oh, my gosh, I'm going back inside. No, did David do that? No, he, he gave. He saw her. In the Hebrew, the word means to stare or to gaze upon or inspect. He was checking her out. He was watching her. And the wheels are starting to spin. Wow, she hasn't seen Uriah in months. He hasn't been around in months. She's a lonely girl. And Bathsheba's thinking, I'm a lonely girl. I haven't seen my husband in so long. And David commits adultery in his heart because of that word, saw. Do you understand? Guys, you know what I mean. There's one thing when you see somebody, and you you see this all the time, as I'm driving down five-mile line on my way home from church or on my way to church on Sunday morning. There'll be a young lady, you know, jogging and it's like I see her and I see her and I just keep going but if I look at her and guys you know what I mean there's that extra long stare now there's something different happening I've engaged in this sin of adultery in my heart 
right? Didn't Jesus say that in Matthew's gospel? He says, you've heard that it was said to those, you, have not, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust with her, and this is true for you ladies too. You may see some handsome, dark, you know, tall, dark, and handsome hunk. You know, it's physically fit, dresses really nice, smells nice too. Wow, drives a nice car. Seems like he's got it all together, just he's very smooth and he's got that nice voice. He can even sing and he's a guitar player on top of it. I mean, he's in a band. You know, no, I'm only kidding. He's... But what did Jesus say? So ladies, this is true for you too. Whoever looks at a woman or a man to lust for him or her has already committed adultery with her or him in his heart. If your right hand causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. And you know the the situation here. We don't need to finish reading that verse, but Jesus is not saying literally take out your eye and cast it from you because if sin is in the heart, you can take the eye out all you want and you can remember something. And your heart can still be filled with lust even though you can't see. You can remember. As long as you've got a brain in your head, you can replay those images. You remember. So it's not really a physical thing, but we ought to take it that seriously. So David sent and inquired of the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Isn't she? David, isn't this the guy? This is one of your mighty men. This is, this is his wife. And I, I, I marvel that his servants, this is just totally blows me away. You know, they, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the daughter of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent his messengers. Nonetheless, it's like he couldn't be reasoned with. You know, when you get to the point where, do you realize that that's, that was God's safety net for David, his men that were surrounding him. Hey, David, that's Bathsheba. You know who she is? No, I know who she is. Go get her. Now he's got a group of men who know exactly what he was up to. And what blows me away is they were probably, they loved David so much and they were so loyal to David, they probably would take that to the grave because they respected and loved that man so much. But was it rape? David sent messengers and, and took her and she came to him and he lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. This was not a rape. There's no talk about a rape. Evidently it was consensual. But was David abusing his authority? You better believe he was. As the king of Israel. I mean, what lady in Israel, if they saw David looking at her? Certainly she knew where David's palace was. Right next to hers, her husband's. And the rooftop patio. What was she doing bathing in unveiled eye shot of David at any time? I mean, there wasn't even like a, 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 a screen or some kind of thing, a, a partition. And again, not to lean too heavily on this, okay? Um, the overwhelming fault in this is David. The vast majority of the blame here is David. But what happened here? And, and, and this, ladies, is good. For you to consider too. She wasn't completely unculpable in this either. What was she doing unguarded, bathing like that on the top of her house, knowing that David's palace is right next door and he can see her at any time if he was just out there, at the very least have a partition? Did she secretly, and again, this is conjecture, but did she secretly 
knowing that David was there too. He wasn't out with the troops. Everybody knew that. David was home. Did she secretly delight in David? You know, maybe not in a, in a lustful way like David was looking at her, but maybe she, obviously she admired him. But where was the discretion in her? And ladies, that's one thing I want to share with you because we're going to spend more time on David next week and we'll end here. But ladies, just be careful of how you dress and the things that you do because you have such an impact on men. You may not think you do. And some women, and let me just speak frankly here because I think we can. Some women, it's not, uh, they don't have a, a, a desire for men to look at them in that way. And yet other women do. And they know how to dress. They know how to do things to get men to look at them. And I imagine, I'm not a woman, obviously. I'm an XY chromosome. I'm very thankful for that. I'm a man. Hallelujah. Adam. <laughs> but um, but ladies, when the way you dress, the things that you do, you know exactly what you're doing. And I want to encourage you to think about that. The women in the world, they don't know these things. Or, or they know these things. They know the effect. And I'd imagine it is a kind of an ego trip, especially if you're a good-looking lady. Because there is, it feeds the ego, doesn't it? I mean, I, if I were a woman and all the men were looking at me, it would feed my ego, and I'd like, I'd like that attention, actually. Maybe not every woman does, but there are some women in the world that do. And I can't speak to the women in the world, but the women in the church. You know, are you, do you dress modestly? Are you really dressing and doing the things you do to, because you love your husband and you want to be attractive to him? Or does it still secretly you desire for other men to look at you too? You've got him and that's fine. But do you desire to have other lookers to feed that ego within us, to feed that pride within our hearts? And men do it as well. It's not just the ladies. But it's something that we have to be careful about. Right? Because we're all responsible for the way we hold ourselves, especially in the church. Because we don't want to stumble each other. Right? Men, we don't want to stumble the ladies. But, and, and ladies, you don't want to stumble the men, especially single men. I remember one year, and I'll end with this because we're way past time here. This topic is huge. I remember one year, um, and I don't think she'd mind me saying this, I won't give her name. <laughs> but there was, a, there was a woman who came in, and it was very obvious. And um, the way she was dressed, and I remember an older woman in the church sat down next to her and basically got on her case a little bit. You know, because uh, she was a believer, but she came in and she was just dressed in such a way, it was very provocative. And this older woman was very nice about it, but she, you know, basically just told her, you know, honey, you really need to think about what you're, you know, how you're dressing. And let me tell you, that was that hard for her to sit down and say that? But, you know, there are times, ladies, when you've got to step up and do that. You know, the, you know your own kind better than men. And when you see a woman like that in the church, you don't have to be a, a, a mean and go after her with knives, but can you befriend her and talk to her and help her? to understand that maybe the attention that she's drawing is not the best kind, and certainly not in this place, right? We want to come and be undistracted. 
not be distracted. Right? So I say all that, again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, but this is a topic that we can, I can get away with talking about this. And most of the time, it's the man's problem. We talk about the men's issues. But ladies, there's also a culpability here. It's a small one with Bathsheba compared to David's. Okay? Because David could have looked and he could have walked away. He could have resisted it. But he didn't. And Bathsheba could have not bathed on the roof. And she could have certainly put up at least a partition to show some sense of decorum and... uh, What's the word I want? Modesty, yes. (laughs) So let's be careful about that. Let's be careful about that. We'll finish this uh, chapter um, uh, next week and and certainly in chapter 12. There's a lot here in these two chapters that we we need to look at. And it's uncomfortable, but it's one of the worst times in, in, in David's life. And it would be wrong for us not to look at it and really examine our hearts in it. Because um, it is the thing, adultery in our culture right now, even with the church, is destroying people, destroying families right now more than ever. And so it's something, guys and gals, that we've got to look at, and we've got to be honest, and we need to repent. We need to repent. Guys, if you're looking at stuff that you shouldn't be looking at, that's adultery. Ladies, if you're thinking and fantasizing about that young guy across the street, you need to repent. Whatever it is, we all need to repent and keep that vessel that we hold honest and pure before God. Amen? Let's stand now that everybody's uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, Lord, we just do, uh, we come before you, Lord, and uh, Lord, I know that this is a. a a topic that's really difficult, but yet it is, again, the elephant in the room. And so, Lord, help us as, as people in the church, Lord, to not be afraid to um, look at these things. And, Lord, help us to repent. Lord, maybe none of us in this room have committed adultery in the physical sense, but we have in another sense, in our hearts. And, Lord, it always begins in the heart. And then if it left unchecked, it does become something else. It's just a matter of time and opportunity. So, Lord, help us, Lord, and help us to be more concerned about you and your holiness and, and what you've done for us. And rather than be thinking about what the devil is thinking, Lord, we don't care about him. You take care of him, Lord. We just want to have our eyes focused on you. But, Lord, we also need to be vigilant and sober. And so help us to do that, Lord, this week. And, uh, and just have your way in us, Lord. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for cleansing us, and thank you for forgiving us when we cry out to you, when we express to you the deepest, darkest things of our souls, that you would never, never cast us away, but you rather you put your arms around us, and you are so unlike anybody else in the world, Lord. There, there's truly no one like you, Jesus. There's no one like you, God. You alone are sovereign, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you're glorious. You're words that can't even describe who you are, words that where language can't even be invented to describe the beauty and the glory of who you are, Lord. Help us to be captured and raptured by these things. And may it build a holy fire in us, God, that we would obey you from the heart 
with simplicity. How we thank you in Jesus' name. I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.